All right, test, test, blah, blah. So we've been making our way towards Monty Python. It's been our most epic, uh, yeah, the most Voyage. epic arc in this, this podcast. So yeah, if anybody wants to follow the whole journey, it started with, at last, the 1948 show. If you go back to that episode, six episodes ago or whatever, that's where it started, where we were sort of triangulating on the different Monty Python members and uh, where they came from and how they got their starts in TV and stuff leading to Monty Python, and we finally got there this week. And then I thought, uh, since Monty Python is such a towering, epic thing of like, uh, like we could, uh, let's just do a, a two-parter. Why not? <laughs> we could take our time with Monty Python. So uh, I didn't do a ton of research, because I figure if we do a two-parter, I'll do the research for next week. Because that's one thing that I find weird about the internet age, is you can just know things, just know everything that you never could know back in the day. You know, it used to be Maybe you'd read something in a magazine or a book or you'd hear something. Now you can just go to a Wikipedia entry and learn everything about whatever topic. And it sort of uh, takes away the mystical <laughs> memories of it a little bit. So all I looked up for Money Python is just that there are four seasons. And the fourth season is actually really short because John Cleese was done with the show. He didn't want to do anymore. So the final episodes don't have him. So already that's something like, I didn't know that happened. I don't know why that happened. I'll research it for next week. <laughs> we'll find out. So just, just that basic stuff of just knowing there were four seasons. I'm like, all right, let's, uh, so let's watch four episodes. Let's watch. So I've got the first episode of season one, the last episode of season two, and then next week we'll do the first episode of season three and the last episode of season four. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. so start yeah. the middle and the end. And uh, even just grabbing these episodes, I could see neighboring episodes that are like oh that's the spam sketch or whatever like these famous sketches that are not in the episodes we're watching so maybe we'll see maybe even we'll do a third week of monty python where i'll just go if we don't see some of the like if if we just happen to get some more obscure episodes maybe we can finish off with some of the famous ones just to see how those yeah. go and well we may too see the beginnings of what became those famous sketches because we saw them in some of those other shows that these guys started out in yeah it wasn't the whole the whole uh, skit but there were little things about the skit that you said gee that is like such and such a skit from monty python yeah particularly the uh, shopkeepers <laughs> many shopkeeper and irate the shopkeepers. and the government officials yeah yeah totally. yeah so, and, and some of the women's stuff, but yeah, every once in a while, just a little thing, you say, hey, that's where, that, that's where they expanded on that thing, and it became such and such a thing in Monty Python. So yeah, I thought since, uh, since I don't know anything this week, I didn't look up the actual information about Monty Python and stuff, so for this week, let's just talk about what, uh, you know, our experiences, I guess, with Monty Python, because for me, it was one of those shows that you and dad were obviously fans of. So it was just always there. You know, I was born in 79. So it was already my whole life. Monty Python has existed. And yeah, it was just one of those things you just take for granted. If you ever get a chance to watch Monty Python, if it ever happens to be on TV, you just watch Monty Python. So it was just always there for me. I don't remember how I first started watching Monty Python. I mean, I don't think it was probably the original, like the very first shows that would have been broadcast in Canada. And they were on late at night, very late, like kind of just occasion, and, and they weren't on regularly. You just kind of would catch them. Um, and then I'm gonna say maybe 10 years later, they were on fairly regularly. Like you, you could say, okay, Monty Python's on tonight, gotta watch it tonight. But originally it was just kind of like hit or miss. 
Yeah, and it, it is interesting too, just how all these things like, uh, yeah, it is weird to demystify them a little. Like if we wanted to, they're all there. We could just sit down and watch every single episode of Money Python. But it was it was different back in the day where it's just maybe somebody had some episodes on tape laying around or yeah, they just play them on TV and you just happen to catch them and you just, it was kind of, it's one of those weird catch-22s where I guess technically it's better now that we have access to all this stuff, but it was a little more neat. It felt more precious back then that you were lucky to... Uh, well, and if you just happened upon them, like, can you imagine you're just kind of just turning on the tube or you're watching some crap on TV and all of a sudden, like, you know, or maybe you're having a little snooze and you wake up and here's these weird guys running around dressed like women or yeah. <laughs> and, and doing all kind of blasphemous stuff on TV. And you're like, hey, what the heck is this? Or like for me, for my generation, I mean, we, we watched uh, Mr. Show, which didn't go over as well for you as it did for me. But that's how we felt about Mr. Show. We'd never heard of it. We didn't know who any of those people were. And at first we didn't like it. And then you start watching it and you're like, oh, this is, this is kind of good. But obviously that's not the same as Monty Python. I think what uh, more was more famous, you know, like people in my generation knew the famous sketches, you know, the spam sketch, the dead parrot sketch, the Ministry of Silly Walk, stuff like that. But what I think what we knew better just because it was easier to get access to were the movies, because the movies were always at Blockbuster and stuff and you could just go rent them. So, uh, I mean, particularly Holy Grail is so famous amongst nerds of my generation. Everybody can recite every line of that movie. I was thinking about that the other day, because, like, there's an argument of which one's better. I think most people think Life of Brian is the best of the movies, but all the movies have their moments. And uh, even, like, with uh, that card game Magic, Magic the Gathering, there's a wizard in Magic called the Prodigal Sorcerer that can hit people for one damage. You just, like, pew. So everybody called him Tim. And I was like, why would they nickname this card Tim? He's a prodigal sorcerer. He's all fancy. It's like nothing about this. Why would you call him Tim? And then I find out it's because in Holy Grail, one of the characters John Cleese plays is this wizard who is making things blow up. And he says, and some call me Tim. (laughs) So that's how ingrained that movie in particular is for nerds of my generation is, you know, everybody just decided right away, oh, well, that's Tim, obviously. And to this day, 25 years later, when you hit a, tap a creature to hit another creature for one point of damage, it says you Tim him. That's the, the term. But yeah, I mean, to me, I do think Holy Grail is probably my favorite of the movies. Like, man, it's just, it's ridiculous how good that is. Yeah, just... see, by the time that those movies came out, I had probably seen most of the Monty Python skits right. from TV. But where I ever got started watching them, I don't really remember. They just kind of were there one day. That's one thing that's a little weird, too. I mean, it's a, I don't know, it's sort of a little more pressure in a way of like most of the time in this podcast, we're just watching random old shit that maybe we've never even seen before that you've sort of heard a little bit about or it's connected to some other thing. It's a little different to watch something that is so famous and that is so unequivocally thumbs up. Like everybody loves Monty Python. No one could deny Monty Python. Sometimes it's weird to go back to stuff like that, because what if we just hit some real dud episodes? Because it was similar to, like, with Kids in the Hall or with SNL or any of that stuff. It's sketch comedy. A lot of it isn't funny. <laughs> well, I'm sure, I'm sure we will. We will see some that will say, hmm, that was a little on the weak side. Yeah. But our memories of it are 
top-notch stuff. Yeah, that's where it's almost better sometimes not to go back. It's almost better to just keep your memories. Unfortunately, we don't have that option. Well, here we are. <laughs> we can't not watch Monty so Python. let's do episode one. Yeah, so uh, episode one, season one, is called Wither Canada. And then episode 13 of season two is called Royal Episode 13. So if anybody... I didn't even know they had names. I mean, I'm sure they didn't in any way that you would know at the time. But yeah, apparently these are the names now. Because again, that's one of these Wikipedia things. Like, I haven't done the deep research yet, but even just a little bit. It's like, see, how would I even know that season two had 13 episodes? I wouldn't know. You wouldn't know any of this stuff. It's all just floating in the ether. <laughs> and in some ways, that's better than dissecting the corpse of something like you can do now so we're we're sort of doing half and half here <laughs> i'm dissecting it a little but not too much so yeah if anyone wants to watch along episode one wither canada and royal episode 13 from season two I was saying uh, when we were watching these other shows that led up to Monty Python, like how you never know what's going to be the thing that catches on. But I do think watching these now, like you can tell Monty Python, they put a lot more work into than the shows that led up to Monty Python. Like it's a lot more elaborate and they... Yeah, there was a lot more money, yeah. obviously, put, to put in these. They had quite a few set changes. They were indoors, outdoors. And they didn't half-ass it. Like, if they need a whole bunch of people dressed in a weird outfit, <laughs> like, they did it. Like, they didn't half-ass any of these sketches. They definitely went all the way. It was kind of weird seeing those, too, because it is, like, almost like seeing new sketches for me, because most of those I don't remember. By the end, by season two, some of those I remember. Like, the gammy leg with the cannibalism. I was like, oh, it's like that clicked something in my brain. Like, oh, I have seen that one before. And, uh... And yeah, just people exploding at random. <laughs> like, I feel like I saw that one, but who knows. And you were saying you remember the uh, the funniest joke in the world sketch? Oh, yeah, I definitely saw that one. That right. wasn't that wasn't a remake of anything. <laughs> See, it is actually kind of neat to dig back into these. Um, and they move along really fast, Yeah, those things. There was not a one of them where you said, oh, God, I wish this thing could get over. No, they move fast. And even stuff like the funniest joke in the world, I mean, it was long, but they never stayed in one location. They kept, even that was like 13 mini sketches <laughs> all together. So yeah, definitely, like, even though I wouldn't say those episodes happened to be the funniest ones ever, but you still, like, really feel the quality of, like, yeah, this was definitely... I mean, there's no question it was head and shoulders above other sketch-type shows of the time. I mean, we've been watching a bunch of them, and yeah, definitely. Definitely holds up. Since I've... I mean, I don't think I've seen, just sat down and watched a proper episode of Monty Python probably since the 90s. So, so yeah, it's kind of neat to see them again. Yeah, I think I saw them... Oh, God, they were re on reruns there. Oh, well, you know, it's probably 20 years ago. Yeah, time flies, right? Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, they definitely hold up way better than yeah the other stuff. And even even though it is just a uh, it's a, a shallow thing, but it is like lucky that TV was color already because some of these shows, even from just a couple of years before this, were black and white. And there really is that cutoff of like I just feel like a black and white show 
even if this show were the same, but it was black and white, it would have had a much harder time crossing over the Atlantic and being known and stuff. Like, yeah, being color, man, <laughs> you can't, you can't beat it. Once, once color hit, there's no going Although back. Although I think this was a big, like I was in university when these shows were being made and, and it was a big cult thing. Yeah. Among university type people, like you just had to watch Monty Python. I wonder too, you're saying it was on late at night. I wonder even, uh, it probably would have been anyway, cause it's so offbeat and weird. But just uh, Terry Gilliam's animations alone, probably in North America, forced that show to be on late at night because it's just like nudity oh, yes. and people and, getting their heads eaten and, and people <laughs> being eaten and <laughs> way weirder than I remembered. Those are really and again like elaborate. They're all I didn't remember them being so elaborate. Like once they settle in for some weird animation, you're just sitting there for two or three minutes just watching this really weird shit happening. You have to wonder what kind of a, what kind of a brain yeah. <laughs> made those things and could keep kind of coming up with all this weird stuff. People's heads disappearing in bodies and being replaced with other heads and... Oh, just weird. <laughs> yeah, much weirder than I remembered. And especially, yeah, I can imagine at the time it must have really stood out. You know, it was already weird enough by the time I was seeing these in the mid-80s or whatever when I first saw some of these episodes. But back then, it must have been extra weird. It's neat, too, that, uh, like, the cast is so um, well-balanced. You know, there is no star. Like, you could say probably John Cleese. He kind of stands out because he's just always yelling, for one thing. (laughs) He's so tall. And you can kind of see how if he did leave the show at the end maybe it wasn't quite as good without him but i feel like everybody is surprisingly even from a talent standpoint like no matter who was in the sketches i'm like oh i like that guy <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah yeah they're all good um and i i don't even think john cleese stood out except that he's taller than everybody but you take graham chapman he's excellent and all that any of them eric yeah. idol eric idol actually i maybe would kind of think of if you had to pinpoint who's the head guy but yeah it's surprising because there's usually a main dude and a weak link <laughs> you know it's just how it is in any group yeah but and, there's not in these guys right and they and they can take on any role like usually you when you watch these you might have one main guy who maybe plays the television announcer but they all played the television announcer at various points you may have just one guy who would be the government official and he would always play the government official but they all played the government officials they all played the weird women that was one thing too yeah like uh it was neat to see the very very first one but by season two a lot more of the conventions are established like the uh the letters i forgot all about that of just the letter that they've just gotten from someone angry about the show and that that shot they keep cutting to of the old ladies just clapping. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, how did I forget that? They do that all the time. Oh, yeah, that was, that's, that's the Russian ladies. <laughs> so, yeah, that was kind of cool. And then, uh, yeah, I guess next week we'll just watch more Monty Python, you know? We'll just keep this train rolling. Yeah, we'll see how it develops from... Actually, there wasn't that much difference between season one, first episode, and season two, last episode. Oftentimes you'll see a show and it'll be kind of weak at the beginning, but then it will develop quite a bit. But they started off on a real high note in episode one, and we're still carrying it to the to the last show we saw there. Even the very first thing that happened in the very first episode was the, like, just haggard, shipwreck-looking guy slowly running toward the camera, just taking forever to swim to shore and run to the camera just to say it's. Like, yeah, right out of the gate, the, that, that's where you can tell they have their own 
weird idea of what their comedy is going to be. And like right off the bat, that's like going to throw throw off the, the rhythm of a normal show. It's just a weird thing to do. And like we knew it was coming because we've seen it before. But that's a weird thing to do. And it's it's like a good it's a good sign to start off the first scene of the first episode. And then that second one we watched, the Royal episode, the whole joke was it's such a weird offbeat show, but now they've got to be straight-laced because the queen is going to be tuning in. <laughs> and then, God love her, when she does switch channels, it's so friggin' boring. Yeah. <laughs> she clicks right over to something else. And then once the queen's gone and they're like, alright, she's not tuning in again, then it gets ultra-bizarre <laughs> with all the cannibalism way. sketches and stuff. <laughs> but then the minute they think she's watching again, they all stand to attention and the boring royal music starts. And of course she switches channel again. How friggin' boring is that? <laughs> yeah, because that was like, I mean, I guess they always had stuff like that. Like I was thinking of that that sketch from uh, Meaning of Life, where the the big fat guy eats so much that he explodes, and you know, like they they do really get scatological sometimes. But that episode, yeah, where it's like they're at the funeral parlor discussing eating the guy's mother and all. It's like so much so that the audience is getting upset, but then the the queen and they all have to stop. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, and then they're, they're on the boat and they're starving and they start fighting about who's going to eat who. <laughs> and nobody says, well, I don't want to be eaten. No, it's, oh, no, no, there, have my arm, have my leg. <laughs> I appreciate, too, yeah, like the, the sort of meta stuff. Like that's much more common by like the 90s and stuff. Like even like our kids' cartoons were getting to be that way where people would make references to the fact that it's a show. But Monty Python, like, these earlier shows we watched definitely didn't do that. Where Monty Python, they, like, I was surprised how often they showed the studio audience and the cameras and here's that it's a show. And, uh, yeah, just just weird. Like, I guess later they, they called it breaking the fourth wall is the term because, you know, there's the one wall that's not there. You know, it's the three walls of the set and the fourth wall is where the audience and the camera is. But they broke the fourth wall all the time here. We're like, the insurance sketch. And then... Um, Eric Idle and John Cleese both point at the sign like insurance just so you're clear this is an insurance thing like just it like destroys the reality completely and then later they do that again with the cannibalism sketch they restart the sketch like four times and then the lady just comes over to take their order and just they forget that they're even supposed to be in a boat like I was surprised how often they did that where they just took the idea that like the idea of suspending your disbelief and they're like fuck that this is all fake and let's like really lean yeah, on the yeah, fact yeah. let's 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 don't want you to think this is anything serious here yeah. let's bring you back to what's really going on it's fake and that must have been yeah like really interesting at the time too because i i feel like that's probably one of those things that was probably like a generational gap where i bet if you were a younger person watching that at the time that kind of irreverence about the whole process would be funny and refreshing. But if you were an older viewer who was more used to just classic comedy, you'd probably be like, what is this goddamn show? These no good fucking youngsters <laughs> just take it serious. And then they get those letters. I, I'm upset that you're not taking it serious, you know? So yeah, not bad, not bad and at all. And they did get a whole lot of flack for being irreverent and anti-establishment. But uh, it's good for a laugh. Yeah, especially yeah, comedy. I mean, because the thing is, yeah, like you know, we we there are certain people in society who have a tendency to take all that stuff so seriously, but these guys don't. It's always just tongue in cheek, and let's have a good laugh about it because hey, (laughs) it's laughable. Man, this is one thing. Maybe uh, 
this is just making me think of maybe something we can toss in that uh, we can just watch at the end here. It won't necessarily be part of the episode exactly. But because uh, like there's no no limit to this for me. It can like they can't do this too much. I love fourth wall breaking stuff. I love when shows just admit that it's a show and just like to, to me that doesn't get old where I think some people they, they get a little tired of it. But there's this show. It's also a British show called Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. And let me see if I can find an episode and maybe we can just watch it because it's they only made six episodes of this show. And it's the king of this type of shit where the idea is Garth Marenghi is like a Stephen King type guy who is just a really schlocky author, but he thinks he's the greatest. And this is a show he made in the 80s that was so bad they never put it out. And the idea of the show is now it's been re found and he's introducing it like it's this great lost show but it's just garbage (laughs) and it's like the most fourth wall breaking show i've ever seen in my life of just people staring at the camera and like deliberately doing a bad job and uh, i don't know that it necessarily ties into monty python all that much but it's just it's just good it just made me think of it so so yeah why don't we watch a garth Marenghi's dark place if i can find one but yeah next week we will watch more Monty Python, and uh, as I was saying, I'll dig in a little more and I'll find out more of the nuts and bolts of behind the scenes of how this whole thing came together. But yeah, it definitely holds up. Good old Monty Python, man. It's it's nice that it, it even though I, I don't think those were the funniest episodes and they didn't have any of the really famous sketches, but just the whole vibe is just good, like fun to watch. You just, like, if you saw this show on TV, I can definitely understand why. Because, like, what's the alternative? In the early 70s, what else are you watching? Three's fucking company? (laughs) You know? Like, Monty Python must have been so much better than everything else on TV.